A big shout out to all of those who submitted some suggestions for podcast episodes. Uh, We have a few really good things lined up for you over the next few months. If there's anything you want to learn more about or you're curious or a question you want to ask, love to hear your feedback. I do read all the emails and I'm really keen to hear what's working for you, what you'd like to learn more about, topics, things of interest uh, out there in the social profession. So in today's episode, I chat with Louise Hayes, and she's an ACT practitioner, so ACT as in acceptance and commitment therapy, and she's also a trainer. She's written a few really helpful books for young people and for clinicians as well. So you can get all that information on her website, and I'll link to that in the show notes. So without further ado, here is my interview with Louise Hayes. Welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast, Louise. Did you want to tell us a bit about yourself for the audience listening out there? Sure. Thanks for inviting me, Marie. Um, So I am a clinical psychologist and I primarily work with young people, um, but I also work with adults as well. And I've spent the last, I don't know, however many years developing treatments around acceptance and commitment therapy. Wonderful. So a lot of our listeners are graduates or early career uh, social workers and sometimes other allied health professionals. They might not know what Um, acceptance and commitment therapy is so could you give us a bit of an idea of um, of what it is and who it's who it's good for sure Um, well it's called ACT um, mostly ACT not acceptance and commitment therapy and they have this weird thing Marie that you're not allowed to call it ACT (laughs) you have to call it ACT Um, and it came its roots came from um, behavior therapy Um, and it's it's like a and a CBT can't just stay CBT forever. So then we ended up with ACT. Um, it's kind of just like that progression that happens. And um, it's a way of doing therapy that is really interested lots of people outside of psychology. So there's lots of social workers that do it. We, have a, we even have a social work special interest group around using ACT for social workers. But it's also used by teachers and coaches and workplaces. And so even though it's like originally called acceptance and commitment therapy, it's actually often referred to as acceptance and commitment training um, and is used in lots and lots of different places, pretty much everywhere where humans are and where they hurt. And um, the, um, in a nutshell, ACT can be described really easily. Right? It's um, trying to help people do what they care about even when their thoughts and feelings say this will be hard because that's the key to life. Learning to be able to do what you care about is the thing that brings us life. Yeah. There's been quite a few self-help books that are act focused. Yeah. Um, So I think a few that I I recommend with people is, you know, like the reality slap and the happiness trap and a few of Russ Harris's books. Um, Do you have a few others that you recommend that work with different populations or age groups? Sure. Well, um, I can talk about the ones that I do. So there's a couple that we have written. Um, My co-author, Joseph Chiroki, and I have written on using ACT for young people. Um, And so we have written a book called The Thriving Adolescent and another one called Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life for Teenagers. And we have a new one, which is our best one yet, and I'm so excited about it. It's coming out in September. It's all finished, but we still have to wait for it to be on a piece of paper. It's coming out in September and it's written for young people and it's called Your Life, Your Way. 
And without a doubt, it's the best thing you've done. Your life, your way. And so this, the, what I like about it is it's written for young people to be able to read. But truthfully, we know that lots of young people are not going to pick up a book and read it about their own um, thoughts and feelings because even adults don't do that. Um, so we've written it in such a way that a practitioner could pick it up and be able to use that language to work with young people. So it's kind of like we expect practitioners will read it, but if they want to, they can, it's in the language of a young person. So Excellent. So the first two, the thriving adolescent and get out of your mind, they're for practitioners. Uh, get out of your mind and into your life for teens is a book that was written for teenagers. And that's a bestseller. We've, it's been around for uh, eight, ten years now. Um, and that's kind of an easy read for people to pick up. And um, The Thriving Adolescent is a, a practitioner book and it's actually a developmental model of acceptance and commitment therapy. So my co-author, Joe and I, we spent about five years working out a developmental model, a way of looking at ACT and doing it for development. So, um, and that inside that is the developmental model of ACT that we call DNAV. DNAV has been used across the world in um, big trials, research trials, and in schools and developing school curriculums and all of this really exciting stuff on learning how to use ACT with children and adolescents. It's kind of fun. So what makes ACT different to CBT? Well, um, that's an interesting, <laughs> that's a funny question. So um, because then they're, they're kind of different, but they're not kind of different. So what makes it different, I guess, is history. So first there was behaviour therapy, which is, um, you know, the basic um, began with things like understanding antecedent behaviour consequence, you know, that stuff like, like that we can reinforce things and shape things. And then came CBT, which added the cognitive component to behaviour therapy, which just added the ability, the talk part, if you like, to behaviour therapy. Um, there were some things inside CBT that um, some of the ACT people um, felt were not doing the job that we wanted. And so the founders of ACT, which is Steve Hayes and Kelly Wilson and Kirk Strausel, they started to add on to ACT from CBT some ways of looking at language that were flexible and fluid. So if I make that simple in a nutshell, CBT, um, traditionally, cognitive, the cognitive therapy part focused on kind of like information processing, like humans are like a, a machine. Information goes in and then thoughts come out and there's a right way to think, if that makes sense. I'm being crude in, in the explanation, but that um, kind of helps it. Whereas ACT came along with a different approach from information processing um, and instead said everything that a human thinks and feels occurs in a context and that context is critical and the only way we're going to change thoughts and feelings is to use them in a context. And now that's no surprise to social workers. That's what they do anyway, <laughs> right? <laughs> everything is in a context. Yep. <laughs> but the, the difference with ACT is that context is not just the physical environment. It's also your own history and your thoughts and your feelings are also part of your context. 
So if I make that more simple, my, um, if I have a thought, um, I'm bad at sport, that is a contextual factor that influences my ability to play sport. So, so, so ACT had this addition of saying, okay, we need to stop saying there's a black and white thinking is, is good or bad, which is a cognitive approach. Instead, we need to say, how do you use black and white thinking and when does it help you and when does it not help you? And in which context does it help you and which context doesn't help you? And that was basically kind of in a nutshell and very crude example of what it's actually changed. Now, the, the, I, oh, sorry. I, I was going to say, I think on. that's how I explain it often to clients. I'm like, CBT is very much challenging the negative thought and ACT is a bit more looking at, it may or may not be true, but is it helpful in this moment? Yeah, you say it much more simply than I did, <laughs> which is really good. But the reason I laughed when you asked me is, there's now, we're getting to the stage now where there's a really nice next level, a merger happening, and the latest work is merging ACT and CBT together um, into process-based work, which is a really nice advancement. So um, Steve Hayes is doing a lot of that writing and um, of putting the best parts of, of cognitive therapy and the best parts of ACT and putting them together. And so in the next five years, uh, there's gonna be some changes in the language and most of that language change is going to be saying using process-based therapy. Sounds exciting. Mm, exciting. So ACT uses um, mindfulness and being in the present moment a lot. And that's a buzzword that I think has been maybe distorted over time. So how does ACT use mindfulness and what's the context that it puts in that? Well, it, you're right about mindfulness being distorted over time. It's really hard to even know what mindfulness is. Um, in, in the way it's used in common language today. It's used everywhere. Um, and you can get mindfulness of some, some things that are just make you laugh. I can't think of the examples right now, but you know, it's like, um, but so there's, so there's different definitions of mindfulness. So what we're talking about um, in the way we use ACT with young people is being able to help people be aware of their thoughts, and then choose how to respond to them. That's awareness of thoughts and mindfulness of thoughts. Um, we use mindfulness of being of your body, being aware of your body, being able to understand the messages inside your body and being able to choose how you respond to it. And then we also use mindfulness of being aware of your actions, thinking about your actions and being able to choose what you do. Um, so we use mindfulness broadly, as you'll hear the flavour is awareness, is being able to actually be aware. So we, we extend it beyond something that people might consider mindfulness is synonymous with meditation, you know, sitting and being aware of your breath coming in and out. So we, we use a more broader definition of mindfulness, and that is being able to be aware of everything that's happening to you. And then letting go of the fight with that and instead just being able to choose what you do. Do you find some people really struggle with that concept because they would rather just fight the, let's say anxiety or the fear and be like, I shouldn't be anxious instead of just really struggling with that just idea of sitting with it and that just discomfort in exploring it and being curious with the emotion. 
Yeah, totally. I and mean, there's so many layers inside this, Marie, is that culturally we learn to fight ourselves. And so the central act, part of ACT, which is really one of the most beautiful pieces, and when you work with, you know, with a person, if you can help them in this piece, is learning that there is no fight, right? And that if, if you are fighting your feelings, for example, you won't win. Not that we would tell that to a client because you can't tell somebody, we have to show them the way, right? And so fighting ourselves is often where we end up needing to see a professional or needing help because we just are stuck in this, I can't have this feeling. And as soon as you get stuck in that, I can't have something inside you, you end up in a battle. And if you, the, the, like, if you think about it, your dog is not doing this, right? If your dog is sleepy, he's not, think, he's not battling himself and going, oh, I can't be sleepy because I actually need to go and dig all those holes and I can't sleep right now, right? <laughs> I wish you would say that. <laughs> I wish you would have a bit more thought before digging all those holes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we've set ourselves up um, culturally and through our learning histories and also part of our humanity to learn how to, to try to fight what is really a process of where there should be no fight. Sounds like a challenge for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, when I do my training, um, I, because we begin developmentally and we start from like birth, I often talk about a little baby, you know, when we're first born, like if a little baby is given a bath and they're screaming because they don't like being cold and uncomfortable, they're just cold and uncomfortable. They're not crying and being cold and uncomfortable and thinking, why was I born into this family, right? They just have that discomfort, but there's nothing else. Um, and eventually, as we grow, we learn to fight that discomfort instead of, and not instead of, and a better way to learn and grow is to understand that that discomfort is not something you want and not pleasant and no one likes it, but there is no fight in it. I, I think I've seen a really good image and I don't know if this captures act well, but of two different people and one person saying it's raining and they've got the umbrella up and then the thought bubbles are like, why does it always have to rain? The rain's crap. I'm cold. My feet are wet. I don't want to wear gumboots. And then another person being like, yeah, it's raining. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. It's those yeah. extra layers that we put onto it and the meaning we add. Yeah, absolutely. You're totally right, Marie. It's those extra layers. Now, sometimes we need to fight things, but the fight that we need to make is not inside ourselves. That's a big challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so one of the things we often do with ACT First is to get people to see the fight. How do you do that? Well, most of us don't even see it because we're so deep inside our culture that we don't realise that actually I'm trying to fight myself to not be sad or to not be angry or I'm trying to control it is another way of saying it. And the most one, anxiety is a good way to say it. I cannot be anxious. Right? And we fight ourselves about being anxious. I think um, 
I think it's hard to kind of do it as an audio. If you had video, you could probably show some people examples of how you would. What's a physical way to replicate letting go of that emotion? Like, do you do the, you know, imagine you've got something kind of blocking your face and you move it to the side. How would you talk someone through? I can talk you through it. We can do yeah, it. Yeah, great. It'd be oh, great There's for lots the of different ways to do it. There are hundreds of different ways to do it. What are some of your favourites? <laughs> okay. So um, one of my favourites, oh, well, well, actually, one of my favourites is um, we can do, even though I, you can't see me, right? So um, uh, even though people are just listening. So if you're listening, what, what I want you to think about is try and get your body to be in a posture that replicates what your body is like when you're feeling like you're in a struggle, like when you're really anxious or when you're really stressed or when you're really overwhelmed. Just see if you can kind of make your body into that posture. Okay. <clears throat> and just get a sense of what it's like to feel that kind of this is what I'm like on a day when I'm sitting at my work and I'm really stressed and overwhelmed. Right? and get a sense of all the way it feels all the way through your body. I'll, let, I'll use you as my guide. Have you got me, Marie? Okay. Now, what I want you to do is give yourself a bit of a shake and shake your shoulders. And now what I want you to do instead is I want you to um, get a sense of what your body is like when you're having a day when you feel like you're on top of it. And just see if you can kind of move your shoulders around and get your body to kind of feel a sense of what it's like when you're like that on top of a day. And just see if you can bring that into your body so you've got it all. And notice what your chest is like and what it feels like. Okay, and give that a shake out. And tell me what happened to you, Marie. It does feel a bit defeating going into that position of, you know, when you're not doing so well and you can feel that shift as you picture what it's like when you're in a happy mood um, or feel that kind of, you know, success. It's a, it's a more open body posture. Yeah. Now, the important thing is neither of those are wrong right? Neither of those are wrong. So helping you to increase your awareness around it kind of gives you some choice. And there's no fight. There's no message here that says don't do that stressed out or hunched over your desk posture. It's just about being able to start bringing it into your awareness. Well, how am I right now? Um, and um, a really anxious person might be really fighting that kind of, I don't want to feel like this, you know, I want to be happy as they sit over their desk, pounding away on the computer. Right? <laughs> <clears throat> so helping people see the range can be really useful, but there is never, ever a fight inside it. What are some of the common things that people resist in that? I mean, I've had a few clients, especially when it's something like anger um, and they have then a choice on how to respond, they still really get hooked on that idea of, but I was wronged. This shouldn't have happened instead of being 
able to say, I can say I'm angry and then choose how to act. They yeah, really well, just angry. think I shouldn't be angry. It was done to me. That person deserved it. Yeah. Well, there's two things that you're describing in there. It's really interesting is the first thing is when it comes to feelings, feelings are what they are. Right? <laughs> and so we, we give anger a bad rap. We kind of set it up in this culture as if anger is a bad thing. Right? Now, anger is a message in your body. And so mostly anger is a message that something made you feel unsafe. Often it's a message about safety. Not always. Learning changes it. But often there's a message that I don't feel safe, uh, particularly for women, I will add that. Um, or um, um, I don't feel safe, or it could be a message that, um, that, that someone is not looking out, looking out for me or caring for me or, it, like, or that someone's going to attack me. So anger is just kind of a message in your body that I, I, I don't feel. Right? And so what we do is we try to get angry to lash out, to try to get away the danger. Right? So anger inside our bodies is a message. So then our job is to think about what that message is. Right? So I'm using a general thing about saying I don't feel safe or you're not thinking about me, you're thinking about yourself. Right? Um, so first, so once we know it's a message, then our next job is to think about how we use that message. Um, and so when people start blaming other people, like it's your fault, you shouldn't have done this to me, um, that's adding that cognitive component, the thought component that we add to blame and judgment and evaluations of other people can sometimes be a way of kind of justifying why I feel like this. And sometimes that's perfectly justified. Um, but we want to get some flexibility inside the way we use our thoughts like it's their fault or they did that. We don't want to fight with a client because there's no fight in here. Um, especially when it comes with thoughts. If you fight another person's um, thoughts, you won't really win. We call it your advisor. When, when we use it with young people, we call it your advisor. So which is like an, a way of saying the way you talk to yourself and tell yourself what to do, it's like you have this internal advisor that says, Marie, do this. Marie, do that. Marie, you need to do this. So if you start blaming other people, like, you know, they shouldn't have done this to me, with a young person, I would say, well, what's your advisor trying to do there? Like, what do you think is the, why do you think that you would be giving yourself advice like it's their fault? Um, and, and it does, it helps you kind of protect yourself. And now our job, when we give ourselves advice, like I don't, I think this is this, or I think this is that, is to know whether we're giving ourselves advice that's useful to us. And useful means, does it help you do the things you care about? So how do you work out what people care about? Because I think that's one big component that a lot of the other maybe types of therapy don't focus on as heavily is really honing in on your values in different areas of your life. Otherwise it's really hard to then know which behaviors to change and challenge or adapt if you're not sure exactly which direction you're going in. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great, I mean, values is a central piece of ACT work um, and a core component of the work that we do because the research shows that helping people to get connected with what they care about or values, if you want to use that word, um, 
actually changes behaviour. It's a really important thing. And you think of it, um, um, if, you, if you have um, someone who's experienced a very painful event, like a past trauma, for example, and I don't want to make light of trauma, but it's a good way to kind of feel, think of the example. Like someone who's had a, a traumatic experience and they've learned something from that and they use that as a way of making sense of why they're doing the next thing, right? Like I've learned from this and I want to help other people, right? That's making meaning from pain. That's what values is about making meaning from our lives, not just from pain, but also from making meaning in our lives all the time. So it's a driver. Right? So let's use the anger example. So if a client has lots of anger and you started to talk about the messages in your body and they understood that this was a message, now what is that message about? In terms of what you care about, what is the message telling you? And the message might be that somebody I care about is not thinking about me or it might be that the message might be that actually I really care about this person and my anger is a learned behavior that I is not helping me with you know connecting with this person and then when you have thoughts like uh, it's their fault like what is that kind of thought actually doing to what you care about here right? it might be protecting you from this person who's going to cause you harm and self-care is something that you care about. Or it might be a thought that is actually about being right, but it's pushing away the value of the person you care about. So the hardest thing to get inside this is there's no right or wrong. There's only how does this work for you? Mm. Do you find some people who've been in therapy a little while find this approach quite difficult to grasp because it, it can be opposite of some of the other things they might have been taught, especially if they're doing very strict work around, I just don't want to feel the anxiety. I want to get rid of it. I just need to, you know, and this is sitting, sitting with it, explore it. Where do you feel it? What's anxiety like? Can you do it anyway? Is that okay? Like how do you find people respond to this who maybe have had other types of treatment? Well, that's a great thing to think about. And sometimes people come to ACT after they've had lots of other treatment. Um, and that was particularly the, the common thing that would happen in the early days when we were doing ACT in the early days. Um, <clears throat> and so one of the foundation pieces of ACT is helping people to think about... Um, sorry, help. one of the foundations pieces that we would start with ACT is technically called doing a functional assessment, but in it's often taught as creative hopelessness, which is kind of a weird word. People get stuck on that weird word, hopeless. But creative hopelessness, so I might say to you, so what have you tried so far? Right. And we would talk about it, not in a right or wrong way, but just talk about it and explore. Okay, so I've tried this to stop my anxiety and I've tried this to stop my anxiety. Um, and then I would ask you, if you were my client, to go, well, what successes have you had? What's worked in here and what hasn't? Well, the ultimate proof is in the pudding. If you're here to see me, clearly then all of the things that you've tried so far, they haven't really worked. Now, they haven't worked because then it's not because you haven't tried hard enough or because you're doing the wrong therapy 
they haven't worked because the agenda is wrong. And so if your agenda is, I need to get rid of anxiety, then that it's the agenda that's wrong. And so our agenda in the work we do in ACT is, how do I live with my anxiety and do the things I care about? So what about when people say, but I just don't want anxiety. Doesn't belong here. <laughs> Great. <laughs> we can do that work. When they say, I just don't want anxiety. I want to make it go away. Well, we can practice making it go away and see what happens. And we can also practice. Let's say this is your anxiety. I've got my phone here. Let's say this is your anxiety. And we put it in your pocket and we practice doing that next thing while it's in your pocket, can you do that? Because right. see, there's a fundamental problem here is anxiety, although we hate it, its foundation is a keep you alive message. Right. And if I was to, so I sometimes do this with my teenagers, I sometimes say, just imagine that I was to wipe anxiety away from you so that you leave my clinic and you never feel anxious again. Right. What would that be like? And of course, they'll often say, well, that would be amazing. It's just what I want, right? So let's just imagine what would actually happen if you're able to walk out of here and you don't feel anxiety ever. It would be great. You'd be calm and chilled and relaxed. Now, Marie, my clinic is on a really busy road, right? And it is. And I say to teenagers, what do you think would happen if you left? And you're just calm and chilled and relaxed. What do you think they say? Or hit what would you car. say? Well, totally, yeah. hit by a car. Right. So anxiety is not the enemy. Um, and you might have too much of it. So our job would be to work out how to live with it. And maybe we need to titrate it down a little bit. But anxiety is not the enemy. No. And anxiety has a message inside it that says you care about it. One of my favourite things is... Um, tell me something that you perhaps don't really care about ever doing, Marie, like stamp collecting. Do you care about stamp collecting? No. No, with apologies to people who love stamp collecting. Yes, yes, no offence. I did collect <laughs> them as a child. I don't right. know why. Maybe it was cooler back then, but no, I'm not into stamp collecting at the moment. Right. So, um, Marie, if you get to the very end of your days and you've never, ever had the opportunity to stamp collect, um, what do you think that will be like? Like when you're on your deathbed and you've never been able to stamp collect? Well, it wouldn't have an impact for me personally because it was not something I aimed to do or... Right. Yeah. So exactly. So the amount of anxiety you have around never having the opportunity to stamp collect? Zero. zero. Right. But if instead I said, well, Marie, what about this thing that you actually care about? Like, let's, I'll just use a general one. Let's say it's being loved, if I'm able, able to use that. Right? Being able to be loved by family, friends. You know, I'm not talking about romantic love. I'm talking about being connected with people. Let's say that's something you really care about. All right. How much anxiety do you feel about the idea of not getting that? I'd be soul-destroying. Yeah, right. Almost like paralyzingly anxiety-provoking. Yeah. So inside anxiety is something you care about. 
if there's no, if you don't care about it, there is no anxiety. Yeah, I used I used that example um, for something like a job interview. So if you don't really care about the job and you're not really anxious about it, you might not prepare, you might not iron your clothes the day before or check your, you know, the timetable for the trains or buses. Um, and if you care a lot that you're starting to feel anxious, it's showing you that it's important or you want to do well and it gives you a bit of a kick up the bum to prepare and practice and then too much anxiety is when you're so anxious you don't show up to the interview because it's just controlled you and we need that middle bit yeah absolutely we need it now some people end up with um find themselves in places where they're for whatever reason whether it's temperament or their physiology or their learning history that they find that they're um they feel more anxious in their bodies and it's really hard to to have those feelings um and so what we want to do is separate the two things there's anxiety in your body and then there is the fight to not have anxiety in your body. So there's those two things, right? So there's anxiety in your body. We might call that anxiety. And then there's anxiety about anxiety, which is don't feel this. I can't feel this. This is really bad. Right? Um, and the anxiety in your body, although it's unpleasant and no one likes it, there are things that you can do with your body to help you. But anxiety about anxiety is a fight that you won't win because you're basically trying to tell your body to stop doing what it's doing very powerful yeah so we could talk forever about anxiety so if people want to learn more then there's a few books that you've got and one up and coming so we can put links to those in the show notes where can people who might be interested in learning a bit more about learning act so more for practitioners where can they go what's available what populations can they use it with okay so um i'll answer backwards what populations can they use it with there are over 300 randomized controlled trials of using act now and it's being used with pretty much every population you can think of because it's transdiagnostic because its foundation is how do you suffer right or what are you struggling with and how do i help you right so um, in terms of training, there's a, lots of different ways to get training. Um, and so I'll give myself a plug, because I can, <laughs> is um, if you can, you can go to my website, louisehayes.com.au, and I run regular training workshops. Um, and uh, you can also go to our other website, thrivingadolescent.com, where you can get some free resources and downloads and learn about how to do it developmentally. So that's thrivingadolescent.com. Um, and uh, we have um, an overarching organisation called the Association for Contextual Behavioural Science. And we have members of all disciplines in there. We have a special interest group for social workers as well. Um, and so we have an Australian chapter and they have training. And they, their training is often quite cheap, like webinars for $20. So it's a good way to, to get some um, low-cost training. And they often have student days, which are really good too. Um, where you can go along as a student, you might pay, like I'm guessing, $100 and get um, great training for a day. So that website is ANZACBS, which is Australian New Zealand Association for Contextual Behavioural Science. So that's another good way. And then right. Russ Harris does lots of training in Australia too. Yeah, excellent. So I'll put some of those links in the show notes. 
um, anything people should be aware of uh, if they're starting to go down this path of learning a bit more about ACT to work with their clients? Um, any sort of trigger warnings or do they have to do the work themselves? Uh, what are kind of things people need to know? Yeah, well, I, the first thing I thought when you said any warnings, the first thing is you cannot tell ACT to clients. You have to do it, right? If you just tell them, oh, I don't think like that, or, you know, tell them a metaphor, for example, it doesn't actually work, right? You have to um, experience it, right? Because telling you to think differently is not going to make you think differently. Allowing you to experience, the, give you the opportunity of thinking in a different way right, might actually allow you to see something different. And that's what we know from the research. So you have to experience it. So I say, um, do it, don't talk about it. Um, like I asked you to move your body to different positions instead of telling you to do it, you know, like telling you what it would be. So that's it. And the other, so that's a, an important thing. Um, and I've learned lots of lessons along the way learning about this is you've got to step up and do the weird experience experience you learned in a workshop and actually discover for yourself what it means mm. and if you find when you do that experience in a workshop and you go oh that made me feel really uncomfortable great because that's exactly how your clients are going to feel <laughs> and you learn that way in the end the most important message in act is we're all the same here excellent that's lovely thanks so much for your time thanks for your time it was nice to meet you Marie. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Inside Social Work podcast. So all of Louise's resources can be found at www.louisehayes.com. Uh, if you're in Melbourne, you can check out some of the training that she's running. She also runs some across different states in Australia, which is really cool. And you can check out her books, uh, The Thriving Adolescent, and get the most out of your mind and get into your life for teens. Uh, you can find them uh, online in bookstores. And there's a bit more information about those resources in her on her website. So thanks for listening. Uh, have a really lovely day and get in touch. Don't forget to join the mailing list and you can get your copy of uh, the Social Work Career Guide. And you can do that by going to the website www.insidesocialwork.com. Uh, join the Facebook group, contribute some stuff, have a chat. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode's resources and don't forget to click subscribe and review us wherever it is you get your podcasts.